beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if I were to give you all a, a piece of paper right now, and I were to ask you to write down what it is that you would like to be known for, what would you, what would you put down? Maybe some of us would put down kindness or, or love or, or compassion. Maybe others, others of us would put down wisdom. I'd like to be known for my wisdom or my intelligence or my skill. Maybe, maybe others of us would, would say we'd like to be known for our bravery, for our strength, for our success. We put down all kinds of things, but I wonder, I wonder if any of us would think of putting down fear. Fear. Who of us would want to be known for our fear? Why, why would anyone want to be known for their fear? Well, Obadiah, the Obadiah in 1 Kings 18, is known for his fear. Obadiah's name literally means servant of the Lord. And we read of other Obadiahs. We also have the, the prophet Obadiah in Scripture. But the, this Obadiah here in 1 Kings 18, this is the only time he is mentioned in Scripture. And what is so special and what is so significant about this Obadiah is his fear of God. The text mentions it twice. And it mentions both times, it mentions something different about this fear of God. In, in verse 3, 1 Kings 18, verse 3, we read that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And then at the end of verse 12, when Obadiah is speaking of himself to Elijah, he, he says this, I, your servant, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Obadiah was known for his fear, his great and early fear of God. Now, children, what does that mean? What does it mean that, that he feared the Lord? It doesn't mean that he was so terrified of God that he spent his life running away from him. No, what it means, what the fear of God means for Obadiah, it means that his heart was so full of awe and of reverence toward God. It means that he was overwhelmed with an awareness of the majestic, the, the majesty, the holiness, the glory, and the awesome grace of God. It means to fear God like Obadiah. It means that he, he most desired, what he most desired in life was God's smile. And what he most dreaded was God's frown. It means that he lived, Obadiah lived to serve and to obey God. He sought to serve him according to his commandments. He lived all out for God. That's the fear that Obadiah had. That's the fear that Obadiah was known for. He, he feared God greatly, and he feared him early. And that's a good thing. In the Bible congregation, the fear of God is always, like Obadiah had, is always a good thing. Good thing. <clears throat> Proverbs 19, verse 23. I mean, we can read this in many portions, but just take Proverbs 19, verse 23, where it says, The fear of the Lord tends to life. And he who has it shall abide in satisfaction. We just sang of the blessings of fearing God from Psalter 305, based on Psalm 112. 
Fearing the Lord is a good thing. And, and how much more then isn't fearing the Lord greatly and fearing the Lord early? But we live, all of us lives, as older people, as young people, and as children, we live in a world that doesn't see it that way. We live in a world that basically thinks nothing of God, nothing of His Word. We live in a a world where, for many of us perhaps, as we go to work, having fun is more important than fearing God. Or perhaps at school. We live in a world that can seem, at times for us as Christians, far more real far more real than the God we call our own. We live in a world, what's worst of all, we live in a world where the fear of God has become, even among many professing Christians, in in many professing Christian churches, we live in a world where the fear of God has become what one man, one author has called the forgotten fear. And so much of today's Christianity, and I'm speaking in general here, not obviously of everyone else, but just in general, God has become nothing more than our buddy. To put it, to put it bluntly, fearing God in the world in which we live, in, the, in our context, is sometimes just plain hard. And sometimes it can seem too hard, too out of reach for ordinary Christians. And we can be tempted to give up. We can be tempted to just, just not even bother. We can be tempted to say, well, let's, let me just leave that. The fearing God, will, I'll leave that for later in life. Children, that, young people, that can be a temptation for you as well. But what Obadiah, what 1 Kings 18, verses 1 to 16, teaches us and reminds us is that the, great, the fear of God, and especially the great, a great and an early fear of God, is worth everything. And the hardships, the challenges, the, the, the difficulties that come with fearing God, yes, they're there. We need to be honest about that. We need to count the cost in that sense. In that sense. But they don't, they are not there to discourage us but they are there to point us to the all-sufficient grace of God and to call us to fear Him in dependence on Him. And so our text then is, is really this whole passage, 1 Kings 18, the first 16 verses, and our theme is Obadiah's great and early fear of God. The first we will see that his, his fear is a very precious fear, a very precious fear. And secondly, it's a pressured fear. And thirdly, a preserved fear. Obadiah's great and early fear of God. First of all, it is a precious fear. Congregation, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you are not already there, but to look at the beginning of this chapter. And let me ask you, well, where does, where does this chapter begin? It doesn't begin with Obadiah, does it? It begins with God. It begins with God's word to Elijah. To go, a word commanding Elijah to go and show himself to Ahab and a word promising Elijah that he is going, God is going to send rain upon the earth. And so Elijah begins his journey to Samaria to meet King Ahab. But it's not until verse 17 that we finally read about this meeting between Ahab and Elijah. And 
as you keep reading, of course, children, we, 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 I mentioned it, we, you know what happens in the rest of the chapter. Elijah calls for a contest on Mount Carmel to determine who really is God, the Lord or Baal. And God answers Elijah's prayer during that contest. God sends fire that consumes the altar and everything, really everything on it, the stones and the dust even of it, licks up the water. A powerful demonstration of God being the one true God. But it, right in between all of this, right in the middle of all of this, right in between Elijah's going to meet Ahab and this contest is this story about Obadiah. In a sense, humanly speaking, it's almost an interruption. Listen just for a moment to how it would sound if we jumped from verse 2 to verse 17. And Elijah, verse 2, Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. Now go to verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubles Israel? Do you see how, how smoothly that would read? How, how, how verses 2 through 16, from the second part of verse 2 to the end of verse 16, almost seemed to be an interruption. But congregation, nothing in Scripture is ever an interruption. All Scripture, the Bible says, is given, is in, is, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for, for instruction, for reproof, for correction. And it is perfect. It, 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 it's there to equip the man of God for every good work. And so this is not an interruption. This is the, the, the Word of God from God, inspired by God. And every word of God contains a lesson. And what is the lesson then in this, in this, from this so-called seeming interruption? It's this, that the fear of God is so very precious. What makes it so precious? What makes it so precious? Well, for one, this, this great and early fear of God is a testimony It's a marvelous testimony to the saving grace of God. You see, Obadiah lived in a world much like like our own. He lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he lived under the reign of King Ahab. Israel, of course, was a part of God's covenant people. They had received countless blessings from God, but yet, at this time in, in their history, they had turned away from him. And perhaps no more seriously than, he, than at this time in the reign of King Ahab. Because in, in 1 Kings 16, verse 30, we read that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Ahab brought Israel to its lowest point spiritually. How did he do that? He did that by serving and worshiping and promoting Baal, the idol god of his wife Jezebel, the storm god. Baal was a storm god who supposedly controlled the rain. And the result of of this apostasy, this turning away from God, the result was judgment. Verse 2 tells us that Samaria was experiencing a sore or, or a severe famine. The people were literally starving. Why? Because God had sent a drought. We we read about that earlier in 1 Kings 17 when Elijah went to Ahab the first time and, and, and told him, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. This was serious. I tried to, tried to imagine if we were in a drought for several years. I mean, for us, we have stores, we have, we have trucks, we, have, we, have, we could probably manage for at least some time. But for Israel... 
Israel relied on its fields, on its rivers for food and water. Drought for them meant they didn't have those things. And now several years had passed. By the time we get to chapter 18, several years had passed without a storm, without even a drop of dew or rain. And the basics of life, bread and water, were almost impossible to find. Judgment. The drought and the famine were a judgment that clearly was meant to clearly show the people that the Lord, the Lord their God, not Baal, controlled the rain. And it, should have, it should have turned Ahab and Israel back to God, but it didn't. Obadiah was living in a dark, dark time. And it, it, it gets even darker because we read in, in chapter 18, as we read, that Jezebel... Ahab's wife is busy doing what? She's busy slaughtering, cutting off, slaughtering the prophets of the Lord. But it's right in the very thick of this great darkness, in the midst of this seemingly hopeless situation, that verse 3 tells us about the governor of Ahab's own house, Obadiah. A man who feared God greatly. So greatly that he was willing to risk everything for the Lord and for his people. That's what verse 4 tells us, doesn't it? For it was so, when Jezebel cut off, when she massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Obadiah risked his career. He risked his life, not only to save a hundred prophets of the Lord from being killed, but also to feed them with bread and water, bread and water that were, were hard to come by because it was in the middle of a famine. I think in some ways it was a little, a little like hiding Jews or resistance fighters in the Nazi op- occupation. If you were caught doing that you, 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 by the Germans, you would either be shot or you would be sent off to a concentration camp. How tempting it would have been for for many of those people just to have looked the other way, to have pretended like nothing was happening. How how tempting it would have been for Obadiah as the governor of Ahab's house to look the other way, to to pretend like he didn't see what Jezebel was doing, and yet he didn't. Why? Because he feared God greatly. And beloved, that's a testimony. That is a testimony to the saving grace of God. Because only, only the saving grace of God can ever produce the fear of God in someone and much more so in a time and in a place where it was almost completely gone. The fear of God is a precious, precious thing. Is it precious to you? You know, we're living in a world, as I mentioned, that's, that's in many ways like Obadiah's Israel. And yes, we, we can be very thankful for, for the Lord's blessings. We ought to be so thankful that our churches here are, are as filled as they are, that they're, they're full of, of children and full of young people. But let's not just assume it'll stay that way. If you look in the history of our own nation and you look at how many, how countless churches have closed, why is that? Isn't it because they didn't prize so many people didn't prize the fear of God. Do we prize it? Do we, do we love it? 
And are we diligent then in the use of the means that God uses to put and to strengthen his fear in our hearts? Are we diligent, congregation, in reading the Bible? Are we diligent in, in, in coming to worship and gathering for worship every time? Twice on the Lord's Day. Are we diligent as parents and as teachers in, in seeking to train our children, to raise them in the fear of the Lord? Are we diligent in praying for them, in praying with them, and in modeling the fear of God for them? Is it precious to us? Oh, it is a wonderful thing when that fear of God is present. It is something that we, we must be so thankful for, so, so humble, humbled by, so amazed by. Because when God, when God puts that fear and increases that fear, the awe and the reverence and desire to glorify God in our hearts and in the hearts of our children by His grace, it's not because of what we have done. Yes, we use the means that He gives, but it's all a gift, a gracious gift from him, apart from his grace, apart from his saving grace, not one of us would fear the Lord. A great and early fear of God is precious because it's such a testimony to the saving grace of God. And what an encouragement that is, congregation. What an encouragement that is as we live in this, this dark time, uh, perhaps, as, as, we, as we look around us in our, in our nation and in our world. Because it shows us, Obadiah's fear of God shows us that God is willing. God is so willing to give this grace, to save sinners, and to put his fear in their hearts, even in the most unlikely and the most undeserving of places. And so often we can look around and we can despair, we can become discouraged and how dark things seem in our nation, in our workplaces, in our schools perhaps, in, in our family maybe, even in the hearts and lives of our own children, of boys and girls that you are trying to disciple, that you are trying to raise in the fear of God. But we shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't be despairing because God, God can put Obadiahs. He can put the fear of God. He can make Obadiahs and he can make you. Dear, dear believer, an Obadiah, a, a one who, who is an influence for good and a testimony of his saving grace right where he has put you. Obadiah was, was a governor in Ahab's house. He wasn't a, a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a king. He was in a, in a secular job, so to speak. And God can do the same also with us. He can, he can work the fear of God in our hearts so that we also fear him and we also live for him and, and glorify him greatly. Now, the great and early fear of God is so precious, not just because it testifies to his saving grace, but also because it receives, it receives God's gracious recognition. God takes note, you see, of all those who fear him. Not just the extraordinary Elijahs, but also ordinary Obadiahs. Isn't that what the inclusion of these verses is saying? God takes notice of those who fear him. You know, in Hebrews 6, verse 10, the writer says to the people he's writing there that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God is not unrighteous to forget. Obadiah, beloved, is proof of that. 
God noticed. He recognized. He remembered Obadiah's great fear of him and how he risked so much to save God's prophets. You know, we had Remembrance Day just the other day. And you know the saying that we we, we say often on that day, we, we, we set that day aside especially because we have that saying, lest we forget. Because we know we can forget. You look at history, we do forget. We do forget how all the freedoms we enjoy have been won at such a cost. But God, congregation, God, God, every day with God is Remembrance Day. He remembers His people. Oh, what an encouragement that is. He knows your fear of Him too, dear believer. And he remembers, he remembers your faithfulness to him, whatever the risk, whatever the cost, in big ways and in small ways. He delights to see. He delights to see and to remember what his people do in service to him because, because they are the fruit of his own grace at work. And so whatever the cost, the fear of God, the fear of God is so very Precious. So let's prize it. Dear children, dear young people, prize the fear of God. Pray for the fear of God. Pray, God, put the fear of God in my own heart and cause me to grow in that fear, in that reverence to you. Maybe there are some of you who say, I I do fear him. I really do. But what about, what about when the fear of God seems so impossible? It seems so hard, and it can, it can feel like that at times. Obadiah knew that. Here we come to our second point. Obadiah's great and early fear of God isn't only so very precious, it's also so, so greatly pressured. What happens in verses 5 and 6? Well, Ahab wants Obadiah to go and to help him go through the land to look for grass for the horses and mules. Just by the way, what a contrast, isn't it? Isn't there? Here's Ahab, all concerned about his horses and mules, the, the animals that he would have for his army. But they're animals. Obadiah is concerned for the prophets of God because he fears the Lord. But Ahab, Obadiah obeys Ahab's orders and that's good to notice too, congregation. Fearing the Lord, you see, how very few of us, if any of us, will ever uh, show our fear of the Lord by saving a hundred prophets from a murderer. But fearing the Lord can also be about doing whatever your boss or your parents tells you to, to tell you to do. It can be about carrying out your own regular responsibilities, no matter what you think about it, as long as it isn't sin. And so Ahab, Ahab goes one way looking for grass, for pasture, and Obadiah goes another way. And the text draws us in to, to, to Obadiah. And let's follow him. Just imagine it in your, your mind's, mind's eye, as it were. You can see him as Obadiah walks, walks down the road looking, looking that way for grass, for pasture, for, for water, but there's none. So he walks a little farther and he, and he looks this way for grass and for water, but still there's none. And he walks on and he walks on and he walks on. But now wait, look, somebody is 
is standing in front of Obadiah. And what's, what's happening to Obadiah? He's falling on the ground. He's falling on his face. Let's get a little closer so we can hear what they're saying. Listen, Obadiah is speaking to the man now. He says, is that you, my lord Elijah? As he lies on the ground before him. Elijah. Oh yes, Elijah. It's him. And he answers, Obadiah, it is, it is I. I am. Go tell thy lord. Behold, Elijah is here. What? What? Does Elijah... Does Elijah mean that he wants Obadiah to stop looking for grass and to go and tell Ahab that his, his, his arch enemy, Elijah, is here? Yes, that's what he means. And obedience, congregation, isn't optional at this point. It's a command from God because Elijah speaks as the man of God. God's word has come to Obadiah through Elijah and it may not be ignored. And so suddenly, unexpectedly, unasked, Obadiah's godly fear is put under pressure in the providence of God. Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Have you ever had it when God puts pressure on your fear of Him, on your, on your faith in Him? Maybe as you read the Word of God, you come across a, a difficult command that you, you never noticed before. Or maybe it's the Spirit coming and applying His Word to your life in a personal and a specific and in a fresh way, calling you to do something that as you look at it is harder than anything you've done before. Or it could be, could be that God has ordained a hard providence in your life. A providence, something that you never wanted, something that you never asked for. And suddenly, it seems as if God is putting the pressure on you. He's putting the pressure on your fear of Him. And you wonder, you may wonder, what is going on? Lord, why are you asking me to do this? Have I done something wrong? Is God punishing me for something? And feel so confused, so uncertain. But then remember Obadiah the man who feared God greatly, the man who feared God early, and yet who himself also felt this fear of God, his faith in God, his awe and reverence toward God, being put under pressure, being put in the furnace. And the pressure can sometimes seem so unbearable. I just can't do it. I can't do what God is asking of me this time. That's exactly how Obadiah felt. Notice how the Bible stresses this congregation. Notice how it stresses this by letting us listen in to Obadiah's response all the way from verses 9 to 14. That's six entire verses. We're not going to read all those verses again, but, but let me just read the, the first part, verse 9, where he says to Elijah, in response to Elijah's unexpected and unasked for, unwanted command, what or how have I sinned that thou wouldst deliver thy servant into the, end, the hand of Ahab to slay me? Do you hear it? Obadiah is terrified. He is terrified for his life. Three times in, this, in these verses, he mentions that, that if he obeys Elijah's command, Ahab will kill him. 
And, and beloved, we should not think of Obadiah here as being irrational, as being his, his fear of, of, a, of what might happen is unreasonable. No, Obadiah knows a lot. He's not being irrational. Obadiah knows that Ahab hates Elijah. He knows that, that, that Ahab has been wanting to kill him. And he also knows that God has been protecting Elijah, keeping him out of Ahab's reach. And so he fears, he's afraid that if he goes and tells Ahab now, behold, Elijah is here, the Spirit of God will carry Elijah away and Ahab won't find him. And then the onus will be on Obadiah and Ahab will kill him. Obadiah is basically saying to Elijah, for me to obey you is like suicide. Uh, It's putting my own life at risk. The, the, the pressure of God has put on his godly fear, Obadiah's godly fear with this command, is just too unbearable for Obadiah in his own strength. And so what does he do? He cracks. He caves. He gives in to despair and into the fear of man. Let's not kick a man while he's down. Because how many times Haven't we, haven't you, haven't I given in to the fear of man at a cost, at a risk, far less than Obadiah? Maybe that's the way it is with you even now. Maybe God has confronted you with something in his word, something he's calling you to believe or something he's calling you to do. and You can't bear it. You're terrified of the cost. It may not be your life. It could be your friends, young people. Or it could be your reputation. Or it it could be your your feeling of self-confidence. Or it, it, it could be your desire for control. But whatever it is, the fear of losing it is so great that you just can't bear it. And so like Obadiah, you find yourself protesting and pushing back. No, God. No, please, not this. I've done so much for you already. Haven't I? Don't ask me to do this. Do you ever see yourself in Obadiah's response? Maybe that makes you ask, why? Why? Why does God put such unbearable pressure on his people? On people who fear him and who have already served him so faithfully. Why does God do that? You know why? Because he wants to bring us to an end of ourselves. He wants you, he wants me to learn from Obadiah's struggle here and from our struggles in our own lives that even those who have feared God greatly and early are still so weak and so sinful in themselves. They are flesh, frail. The problem isn't, the problem isn't that God forgets how greatly and how how long you have feared him. The problem is, the problem is that God, he wants to finish the work that he has begun.
And that's not a problem. That's grace. That's amazing grace. You see, the pressure that God puts in our lives, in the lives of his people, is part of his sanctifying grace. That's what makes the great and early fear of God so worth it. It's, it's not that when, when we feel the pressure, we should say, well, why did I fear God in the first place? No, it's don't have hard thoughts of God. God is wanting to expose the sinful self-preoccupation that remains even in the holiest Christian. That's why, it's one of the reasons why he puts unbearable pressure in our lives to expose us, to humble us, to rid us of all our self-reliance so that we would cry to him as the psalmist does in Psalm 86 verse 11, Unite my heart, O God, to fear thy name. But is that how he leaves us? Is that how it ends? With us in this terrible struggle, in this discouragement and in the despair? Well, that brings us to our third and last point. Obadiah's great and early fear of God isn't only so very precious. It isn't only so greatly pressured. It's also so wonderfully preserved. Look with me at how Elijah responds to Obadiah's struggle of faith in verse 15. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. How do those words impact Obadiah? I'll keep reading. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Beloved, our passage doesn't end with Obadiah's despair. And praise God for that. It ends with God. It begins, the chapter begins with God in this section. And God is all the way through it working. But also this section we see God through Elijah working, preserving Obadiah's great and early fear of God by his sovereign grace. And how does he do that? He does it by assuring Obadiah of God's faithfulness, of God's plan, of God's care also for him. Elijah swears an oath, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. You hear what he's saying? He's saying the very thing you fear, Obadiah. That that, that God will whisk me away after you go tell Ahab that I'm here will not happen. I guarantee it. How could he guarantee it? He could guarantee it because he was carrying out the mission of God. He knew that God, you see, had sent him to Ahab. And that's why he guarantees it with an oath even. An oath that, 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 that calls on the name of the living Lord, the Lord of hosts. And he knows that God is faithful to his word and to his promises, to his purposes. And that is what he's telling Obadiah. You know, there's a great lesson in Elijah's response for ourselves. For how we should respond to our each other's struggles and weaknesses in faith and obedience. Elijah doesn't judge Obadiah for his struggle. He doesn't harshly rebuke him. But he tenderly 
assures him. Beloved, in his tender assurance, we not only learn a lesson for how we should come alongside one another, but we also see, above all, God's tenderness for his struggling people. When we struggle with weakness of faith, when we struggle with with fear, even sinful and selfish fear, the Lord comes to us and so tenderly reminds us, I am faithful. Doesn't that enable you to keep fearing God? Above all, no matter what the risk, no matter what the cost will be. Elijah even adds a surely For extra encouragement, I will surely show myself to Ahab today. You know, it reminds me of how Jesus also often used a similar word. You know that word in the New Testament? Verily. Verily. Sometimes he used it twice for extra emphasis. Verily, verily. And he used that word so often to produce and to preserve the fear of God in people. You take one example, John 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, Jesus said, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes in him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Isn't that, isn't that a verily, a surely that you can trust, that you can rely on, that you can count on in all your struggles? Isn't that a surely, a verily that perhaps someone here who who does not yet know the Lord, who has not yet begun to learn to to fear Him, isn't that a promise you can take hold of by faith and begin to fear God as He calls you to? The point is that the Lord preserves the fear of God in Obadiah by declaring to him and reminding him of the Lord himself, of his faithfulness to himself. Beloved, he preserves the fear of God in us the same way, by reminding us of his faithfulness. And he gives us, he gives us not only promises to undergird that faithfulness, not only verilies and surelies, He gives us far more than than an Elijah. He gives us his own son. There is no greater reminder, no greater assurance of God's faithfulness than Jesus Christ, who came in fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. And so the ultimate lesson for us, when we are struggling to trust God, when we are struggling to obey his word, to, to obey his calling on our lives, the lesson for us when we are struggling to fear him above all is to look to Jesus Christ. Because it's when you look to him that you see also in the cross on which he died the forgiveness of all your sins, of all your shortcomings in fearing God. And that, when you see that, by the Spirit of God, that becomes, that works in your heart and life so as to overwhelm you with awe and reverence toward God and toward His Son, Jesus Christ, in whom His, God's majestic holiness and awesome grace meet together. And that's what makes us able to fear God greatly so that what matters most of all to us from now on is the smile of God. 
That's what we desire. That's what we live for because we live to please him, our Savior. And the evidence, the evidence of that will be that we obey him. God preserved Obadiah's fear of him through Elijah's reminder of the Lord's faithfulness to his, his plan, to his promises. And we know that because what did Obadiah do, children? What did Obadiah do? He went and he told Ahab. No more pushback. No more protest. Only obedience. God's preservation of Obadiah's fear was evidenced by Obadiah's obedience. And you know something, God blessed Obadiah's obedience greatly. He used it, you see, to help bring about that mighty demonstration on Mount Carmel. That he, the Lord, alone is God, and Baal is not. God didn't need Obadiah. God didn't need Elijah either. But he blessed Obadiah's godly fear and his obedience by making Obadiah a link in the chain of events that led even to the defeat of Jezebel's devilish plans to destroy the worship of the one true God and to replace it with false idol worship, the worship of Baal. You see the triumph of the Lord in this chapter because by the end of this chapter, not only has Obadiah saved alive 100 prophets of the Lord, he has become an instrument in the Lord's hand Indirectly, yes, but to the deserved destruction of 450 prophets of Baal. The point is that God graciously preserves his fear in his people and then he graciously uses their obedience resulting from his own work for the good of his church and kingdom. The fear of God, congregation, is worth everything. But that raises a searching question. Is there evidence of fearing God in your life and in mine? Yes, we will have struggles. In a sense, we will have struggles all our life long like Obadiah did. But is there growth? Is there progress in our obedience? If there is, then all the glory goes to God and to his son, Jesus Christ, for his precious and preserving grace. But if there's not, if you can't see any evidence in your own life this morning, then I urge you to not delay, but to go to Christ and to trust in Him who has assured us by His blood that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that in and through Christ, He will put the fear of God in our hearts. So what do you want to be known for? Oh, I don't mean what you want to be known for so that people can praise you and give honor to you. But do you want to be known for the fear of God so that God receives all the praise? Are you known for that? Maybe you can't say you feared God early. Maybe you don't dare to say you fear God greatly. But can you say, I fear God Are you overwhelmed by the greatness, by the majesty, by the glory and the grace of God so that all that matters to you is to live in thankful obedience to Him? That's what this passage, congregation, is meant, is calling us to do. Even in the dark times and places where God puts us. 
The fear of God. Yes, especially children, young people, a great and early fear of God is so worth it. Learn to fear God early then. Seek to grow, dear older ones, in the fear of God all your life long. God is calling you to fear him. He's calling me to fear him. And he, as he shows in our passage, is so willing and so able to, by his grace, produce and preserve that fear in us and to purify it too. And when you see all your shortcomings in fearing God, when you struggle to fear him, when you are tempted to think maybe it's not worth it, then look to Jesus Christ and consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And remember, remember, beloved, you have not yet resisted unto bloodshed. But he has, and he did it. He did it for sinners like us. Oh, then let us each fear him. Let us each praise him. And let us each follow him. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, what a marvelous thing it is that you continue to work in the most unlikely places, in the most undeserving of places, so that you put the fear of God in the hearts of those who by nature have no fear of you at all. Lord, we we give thanks that you are such a God that puts this fear of God in our hearts and we pray that you would do that also among us this morning. For the first time we pray and for again that we would see the preciousness and prize the fear of the Lord in our own lives and hearts. Lord, keep us from, it's so easy for us to to become caught up in other things and to let other things overwhelm us, even, even our tasks and responsibilities instead of the glory of God. We pray, we pray that you would so reveal yourself to us in our hearts and in our lives day to day that we would every day Live before the face of God, conscious of that. We would live in the awareness of the reality of God, of his glory, of your majesty, of your holiness, and of your astounding grace. And that in that grace, by your grace, we would live in the fear of the Lord, we would live according to all your commandments in thankful obedience to you. Lord, we pray for those who are maybe going through an Obadiah-like struggle in their lives at this time. Father, we pray that you would send them an Elijah. Maybe not a physical person, but even also perhaps a physical person as we are called to be there for each other, to encourage one another in the fear of God but also through your word above all, Lord. That your word would be that Elijah 
reminding them of your faithfulness, strengthening and enabling them to carry on and to take that risk that maybe they are scared to take, to live in obedience to you. And help us all, Lord, in those times, we pray. Go with us in this uh, rest of this service and also bless the Sunday school classes and the catechisms as they learn from your word that they too are that our children and young people, O oh Lord, would, would learn to fear God early and to fear God greatly, that there may be many, many Obadiahs among us and, and in our society. You would even grant a revival of the fear of God in our land. So we pray that you strengthen and help the teachers. Bless our fellowship as well, our conversations. Lord, help us to be gentle and kind with each other and compassionate, coming along aside one another and pointing each other to our faithful God. For we pray it in Jesus' name, the one who guarantees to us, who seals to us that faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness. We ask, we ask this all and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.